Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our uh, Wednesday episode for week 13 of the 2023-2024 NBA season. I'm your host, Carson. Welcome to the show. Um, both previous listeners and brand new listeners alike, we appreciate your support on the show. Before we get into today's episode, of course, we definitely need to start with uh, some devastating news uh, out of the Salt Lake area and the Golden State Warriors organization. Um, the One of the Warriors' assist, assistant coaches, uh, Dayan Milojevic, uh, passed away today at the age of 46. Um, the reports are that Upon arriving in Salt Lake City, uh, the team was uh, doing a, a private team dinner uh, that night. Of course, they had a game scheduled against the Utah Jazz today. Um, and during that time, uh, Milievich suffered a heart attack, um, was uh, given immediate uh, care as best was possible, and then rushed to a uh, Salt Lake hospital. Um, but unfortunately, uh, those efforts were not able to save his life. Um, devastating news. He, of course was just a celebrated figure um, seemingly everywhere that he went, um, not only as a basketball player, but as a, a lover of life, really. Um, touched people with his his joy um, for, for life and for basketball, of course. Um, as a player, he was uh, very successful, highly decorated um, in the Asiatic or the Adriatic leagues um, and Euro leagues. Um, was a multi-time MVP in their ABA league um, in the mid-2000s. He was a versatile big, and um, he was a great player, loved by fans, loved by teammates. Um, after his playing career, he began a coaching career um, in those same leagues, uh, especially the Euro League. had a chance to coach um, a young Nikola Jokic, among many other future NBA players, um, played a key role in their development, was a great coach in his own right and of course had recently joined the Golden State Warriors um, a few years ago as an assistant coach and had won a championship with the Warriors in 2022 as an assistant on that staff. Um, coach Decky, as he was affectionately known again, um, just a, a phenomenal person, um, even more so than um, a great player and a, a great coach and it's a, a tough loss for not only the the Warriors, but the NBA family as a whole, um, as well as international basketball and the game of basketball, really um, a huge loss for everyone involved. We just don't we want to send our condolences to uh, the Milievich family, um, as well as the Warriors organization and uh, any any others, uh, many others who have been affected by this loss. Um, devastating news. We we felt the need to to lead with that um, because it was it's such a, a tough item. And uh, we're, we're going to dedicate this episode to him uh, as best we can. I, I think more than anything from what I've been able to piece together about him as a, a person um, and a lover of the game, um, he wouldn't want people maybe to dwell too much. Uh, he'd want be, you know, people to be able to go on um, living life to the fullest and, and enjoying the, um, uh, in the game and and enjoying the company of others. And so we're going to do our best to do that. Um, again, a very tough loss uh, in the NBA family today. So definitely wanted to lead with that. But with that being said, let's go ahead and get started with today's episode. We're going to uh, just mainly focus on summaries from the last couple of days of NBA action, um, along with the latest news, um, including a pretty big trade uh, that came about today. Uh, but definitely the the second most um, important news item in terms of 
of weight uh, compared to what we we just talked about. But uh, we'll do our best to talk about that um, and the impact it will have for the teams involved. We'll give you a weekly prediction and all of that with our normal Wednesday uh, schedule. But that being said, let's go ahead and waste no more time um, on a you know schedule of the game or schedule of the episode rather. And let's just jump right into it with our our five on five uh, drill and our, our key news and all of that. Okay, we are going to uh, break from script just a little bit. Normally with our five on five drill, it is five key games that we're focusing on, but there was a lot of interesting games that happened. So we're actually going to focus on six games, three of them from a jam-packed Monday night as part of uh, the NBA's Martin Luther King Day uh, celebrations. But we're also going to talk about all three games from last night because all three uh, had meaningful uh, stats and outcomes and... uh, matchups to talk about so we're going to start with our first game for monday night the dallas mavericks hosting the new orleans pelicans in a, a bit of a barn burner back and forth affair um not the highest scoring game we've seen but high you know high octane action if you will uh 18 lead changes throughout this one uh, but apart from a brief uh about 16 point lead from the mavs in the early first quarter uh or actually late first quarter no one led by more than 10 points for the rest of the game following uh, the Pelicans uh, taking the lead back in the beginning of the second quarter. Uh, just close throughout, uh, the two teams fairly close in uh, a lot of the statistical categories. Uh, the Mavericks did shoot a lot better from the three-point line than the Pelicans did. They also rebounded better. Um, they did have more turnover, so, and the Pelicans shot better from the floor overall. Uh, so, you know, it was a close game and it was kind of anyone's game in the final minutes, but um, the Mavericks were able to get a lead. Um, Zion Williamson had a chance at the free throw line to uh, to tie the game when it was 121 to 119, uh, missed the first of his two free throws, and um, the Mavericks were able to hold on for a victory uh, in the final seconds of that game. Looking at the box score for the Pelicans, they were led by Zion, 30 points, three assists, um, but he was six of 11 from the free throw line, um, took away from an otherwise great game, 70% from the floor. Uh, The free throw line struggles at the end, um, unfortunately, were a little more notable, and that was a deciding factor. They also had 23 points from CJ McCollum, who had six rebounds, four assists. He was three of seven from three, uh, 53% from the floor overall. They got 14 points off the bench from both Trey Murphy III and Larry Nance Jr., Nance also with eight rebounds and three steals in the game. They got 12 points from Brandon Ingram with five boards, five assists, and then also 10 points from Herb Jones uh, starting at guard, three boards, three assists for him as well, made his one three-point attempt. Um, Fairly well balanced, you know, I I think maybe the Ingram lower scoring game was a factor. He shot only 21% from the floor, um, but you got to give credit to Dallas and their duo of 40-point scorers. Uh, no Luka Doncic in this game, so it was Kyrie Irving with 42 points, seven boards, seven assists, uh, and some fairly solid percentages, 13 of 15 from the free throw line, 86% from the line there. But then it was Tim Hardaway Jr., 41 points, far and away a season high. He also had nine three-pointers made on 15 attempts uh, and made all 10 of his free throw attempts in this game as well. Uh, a phenomenal game for the two of them. 
the second Mavericks duo ever to score 40 points each. The other duo being uh, Kyrie and Luca last season. Um, and they are the first duo to do to accomplish this feat uh, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day in NBA history. Uh, to have 40 points each on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That's pretty impressive for them to be able to do that. And they kind of needed it because outside of them, uh, the only other double-figure scorer was Josh Green, who had 13 points, 3 of 5 from 3. Um, they got 12 rebounds from Derek Lively, the second, uh, the solid rookie. Uh, three steals off the bench for Grant Williams. Um, credit to Hardaway and Irving for powering the Mavericks to the, the victory against a Pelicans team that uh, had started the month off hot but has lost a couple of games uh, in short order. So uh, interesting conversation for the Pelicans at that point. But again, credit to the Mavs getting key wins without Luka in the lineup. So let's go ahead and jump into that next game. We have another Detroit Pistons win. Uh, They did not have another lengthy double-digit losing streak. It was a seven-game losing streak that was snapped uh, Monday night with a win in Washington on the road this time uh, against the Washington Wizards. 129-117, to your final score for the Detroit Pistons as they add another win to their total. I believe that's four wins for the season. Uh, four out of 36, that improves their winning percentage to 10% of their games, which uh, is not as good as they would like, but it's still a big improvement. Um, I like the momentum they're starting to kind of put together a little bit. Um, and credit to Detroit, fourth quarter, huge offensive run, 15-point lead uh, was nearly the margin of victory, um, just narrowly less than that at the end of this game. Uh, we'll start with Washington as far as box score. Uh, Tyus Jones led them in scoring 22 points, seven assists, and six rebounds. He was four of 10 from three, very solid for them. Kyle Kuzma had 21 points, eight rebounds, four assists. How about the defensive numbers as well? Three steals and two blocks. Uh, great all-round play for Kuzma, even though it was a bit of a tougher shooting night percentage-wise. Uh, they got 16 points from Jordan Poole, 12 points from Denny Avia, and then off the bench they had 11 points from Landry Shamit. Not terrible for the the uh, the Wizards, that is. But then for Detroit, they were led by Alec Burks off the bench, 34 points on 8 of 12 shooting from three-point range. How about Burks in recent weeks? Um, of course, I saw it firsthand in their game against the Jazz. High-scoring affair. The Jazz were able to narrowly win, but the Pistons really gave the Jazz a run for their money. Burks, a former Jazz man, was part of that, and he's continued to have some stellar offensive performances in recent weeks. Uh, shot 65% from the floor overall and just red hot from three-point range. They were also led by uh, Jaden Ivey, 24 points, seven boards, six assists, uh, 50% from the floor. Ivey's had some nice games, and then Jalen Duran, 20 points, 19 rebounds with four assists and a block, and he made all eight of his attempts from the floor. Duran became the first Detroit Piston with a 20.15 rebound uh, game while shooting 100% from the floor. So credit to Duran. He's looked very good as the Pistons have built slightly more of a momentum in recent weeks. They also got 16 points from Isaiah Stewart, who had six boards, four assists, two blocks and a steal. And then finally 14 points off the bench as well for Asar Thompson, who had eight boards and three steals defensive numbers adding up a bit for Detroit, along with some better offensive performances. They've looked much improved. And again, I'm happy to report when they get a win after uh, the, the recent, you know, last couple of months they've had. So credit for Detroit in that game, our last game for Monday night, uh, a narrow low scoring, bit of an old school nineties type game, almost the Miami Heat winning in Brooklyn against the Nets, 96 to 95 in overtime. Uh, so they needed an overtime to be able to total that many points. 
Uh, Brooklyn had the biggest lead of the game of 16 early third quarter, but the Miami uh, had a great run to bring it back and take the lead in the third quarter. Uh, overall in the game, there were 18 lead changes. It was back and forth in the final minute to force overtime in the first place. Credit to both uh, Cam Thomas and Tyler Hero for going back and forth in that regard to um, force the game to overtime there. Um, Thomas with the the drawing of fouls, Hero with the floaters in the lane. And then once they got to overtime, you know, Thomas and um, I think it was Thomas and Bridges and maybe O'Neal that had some shots to give him a, a bit of a lead. Looked like the Nets could run away with it in overtime. But then Hero with back-to-back clutch threes for the Heat, and then Jimmy Butler sealed the game at the free throw line to give the Heat the victory. As far as box score goes, we'll start with the Nets. Mikhail Bridges led them in scoring 26 points, nine boards, six assists with two steals and two blocks as well. Didn't shoot that well percentage-wise, but still had a very effective game. They got 23 points off the bench from Cam Thomas. Again, not great percentages, but still got the job done. 15 points off the bench as well for Royce O'Neal, who had nine boards, five assists, and he was five of 10 from three-point range. Uh, Very impressive there. Finally, 13 boards, two blocks for Nick Claxton. Meanwhile, for the Heat, yes, Jimmy Butler, 31 points, five boards, four assists. He was 15 of 16 from the free throw line, shooting about 94%, um, and that was certainly a big factor, shooting only 12 uh, shot attempts from the floor, two steals for him in the game as well. They got 29 points and 11 rebounds from one Tyler Hero, uh, four of 11 from three-point range, and then finally Bam Adebayo, only 11 points, but 20 rebounds in this game, a steal and a block as well. Uh, that was a season high in rebounds for Adebayo. Um, and again, it was Butler and Hero with all of their points in overtime, all eight overtime points to seal the win for Miami. So great job for them there. Let's jump to Tuesday and all three games. Again, uh, we're covering all three games from Tuesday night, starting with the Philadelphia 76ers hosting the Detroit, not Detroit, Denver Nuggets. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers hosting the Denver Nuggets, winning this game. 126 to 121 impressive stuff from Embiid in the showdown with uh, his fellow MVP, Nikola Jokic. Um, Of course, the winners of the last three MVPs combined, these two 16 lead changes, no one led by more than 10 points. And that was the Sixers lead in the the final minutes of the fourth quarter. Uh, So back and forth battle by every definition of the phrase and high scoring games from a variety of players. Um, and well-spread out scoring. We'll start with Denver, actually. They had seven players in double figures in this game, being led by Jokic with 25 points, 19 rebounds, but only three assists. Pretty surprising for uh, the great passing big man, Jokic. One steal and one block for him as well, 55% from the floor. Then they had 20 points for Michael Porter Jr., who was four of eight from three. They got 17 and 10 assists from Jamal Murray. Uh, 16 points for Marin Gordon with six boards. They got 13 from Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And then off the bench, Christian Brown with 11 and Reggie Jackson with 10. Both of them, two of three from the three-point line, combining to go four of six. Uh, They also had five players make all their free throw attempts. They shot 76%, though, from the line as a team, with Aaron Gordon struggling a little bit more from the free throw line. But for the Sixers, it was Joel Embiid, 41 points. 10 assists, and 7 rebounds. Of course, that did end the streak of uh, 30.10 rebound games for Embiid. That was snapped at 16 straight games of those type of games. But the streak of uh, 
30 points with 10 of another stat stayed constant. He now has 17 straight games of a 30 point double double uh, this time with assists. And that has only been surpassed by uh, Wilt Chamberlain, who had uh, several streaks of more games in a row. Uh, also, this is 18 straight 30 point games for Joel Embiid. Uh, only James Harden and Wilt Chamberlain have had more. And finally, he also joined Allen Iverson and Wilt Chamberlain as the only 76ers with multiple 40-point, 10-assist games in franchise history. Wilt had three such games, and Allen Iverson had 10 such games. A lot of records to note with Embiid in this game. Um, Of course, the reigning MVP has been very impressive. He missed a few games recently uh, with some knee inflammation, but has not slowed down in his return to action. Uh, he shot 59% from the floor, 3 of 6 from 3, 12 of 15 from the free throw line. He's looked very impressive. But he had great supporting play from Tyrese Maxey, 25 points, 9 assists, and 2 steals. 4 of 9 from 3 for Maxey. And then they got 24 points, by 5 boards, 4 assists from Tobias Harris, who also had 2 blocks and a steal. Uh, shot 80% from the floor, 2 of 4 from 3, 6 of 6 from the free throw line. Uh, that's a potent combination. They got 11 points from Kelly Oubre Jr. as well. Uh, Batum with some key defense, a couple of blocks in the game. Uh, and then, you know, Patrick Beverly with some steals. I still like the makeup of this team. I feel like they have a chance to start rising again with Embiid back in the lineup. Uh, an impressive win against uh, Denver. Embiid gave Jokic his, you know, props at the end of the game in a post-game interview. He called Jokic the best player in the league. Um, but you have to figure that Embiid is still going to be a top name in the MVP conversation this season. Uh, he's been a phenomenal. These are two of the top teams in the NBA, and credit to Philadelphia for coming up with a big win in this one. So uh, that was the first game from last night. Then we go to Phoenix as the Suns came back from a huge deficit against the visiting Sacramento Kings to win it 119 to 117, your final score in Phoenix. Uh, impressive stuff. Impressive resilience. I mean, it was a uh, 22-point lead early fourth quarter for the Kings before the Suns came back to win it in the final minutes. Um, the Suns had out-rebounded the Kings and uh, shot much, much better from the free throw line, which was maybe a big factor in the comeback. Uh, otherwise, the teams were very close in stats. Kings shot only 58% from the free throw line. Definitely a, a tough look for the Kings there. Um, as far as box score goes for them, they were led by Demonis Sabonis, uh, not the leading scorer, but he had 21 points, 12 boards, and 11 assists. Just a note, that is his 43rd career triple-double, the 11th of his season. Uh, but the 43rd career triple-double ties him for uh, 11th place with Fat Lever on the all-time triple-doubles list. Um, so that's definitely worth noting. He's had a great year, shot 81% from the floor. De'Aaron Fox had a pretty great game too, 33 points, six assists, two steals. Uh, but he was six of 10 from the three-point line uh, and 50% from the floor. Very effective. They also got 18 points from Keegan Murray, who had a steal and a block. They got 14 off the bench from Sasha Vasenkov, two of three from three-point range, 13 points, eight assists from Malik Monk. And then 10 points for Kevin Herter. Not bad all around for Sacramento, but again, credit to Phoenix for fighting back, having the resilience. Um, their leading scorer actually was Grayson Allen. 29 points, five boards, six assists with two steals, two blocks. He was nine of 14 from three-point range. He's definitely a name that needs to be uh, given an invite to the three-point contest this year, I think. 
Um, Kevin Durant, though, uh, great alongside Allen. 27 points, five boards, four assists, and two blocks. Uh, four of eight from three, nine of nine from the free throw, free throw line, including the two free throws that put them up with just about a second to go in the game, basically the game-winning free throws at that point. Uh, they also got 16 off the bench with 11 assists, or sorry, not off the bench, 16 points, 11 assists from Devin Booker, uh, 13 points for Bradley Beal, 13 off the bench for Eric Gordon, and then 10 points, 15 rebounds, and a block for Yusuf Nurkic. Gutsy win for Phoenix. Uh, again, 22-point deficit, and they overcame that with a 32-8 to run to close out the game. And this was their first win after a 22-point deficit since 1998. Um and again, credit to Durant for the game-winning free throws. Credit to Grayson Allen for being lights out from three and a huge win for Phoenix at a point where they were starting to, you know, worry a little bit with their uh, inconsistent play. We'll have to see if they can start to build more consistent winning coming off a game like this, but a huge one against Sacramento. And then finally, our last game from last night, the LA Clippers won at home uh, in very impressive fashion against the Oklahoma City Thunder, 128 to 117. The uh, Clippers won this game. Um, the Thunder had come back from a, a double digit deficit to take the lead late in the fourth. And then the Clippers had a even more impressive response to that, uh, winning the game by double digits with just a few minutes left in the game. Um just credit to the Clippers for this, the way they played and Paul George in particular, we'll get there, but starting with the thunder, they're led by Jalen Williams uh, out of Santa Clara, 25.7 assists, two of three from three point range, then 19 each from both Lou Dort and Shea Gilgis Alexander. One of only a few games that SGA has been held below 20 points. Uh, they got 15 points from Isaiah Joe as well with six boards and three assists. Um, so, they had some all right performances, but then for the Clippers, Paul George, 38 points, a season high for him. He also had seven boards, five assists, and three steals, six of 12 from the three-point line, 62% from the floor, and especially in the fourth quarter, he was red hot. 18 of his season high, 38 in the fourth quarter. Uh, had a phenomenal sequence in which he hit a big pull-up three to extend the lead to nine, and then on the other end, uh, swiped the ball away. Uh I forget from exactly who, but he was able to steal the ball, go back on the other end, uh, reverse dunk to give him a double-digit lead again. He was red hot down the stretch. Uh, super impressive. He also passed Paul Pierce in this game uh, to, to take 12th place in the all-time three-pointers made list, so he's nearing the top 10. Um, and credit to him. I mean, you talk about the season as a whole. Uh, Kawhi and Paul George, the MVPs for the Clippers, but maybe Paul George even a, a little bit ahead of Kawhi in some cases, certainly the higher scoring games uh, more often. Uh, Kawhi sometimes with the more all-round type play, but Paul George has great all-round games. He has great defense. Those two are a great combination uh, in that sense, and Paul George has been phenomenal this season. As far as the supporting uh, players for the Clippers, uh, they got 16 from both Kawhi Leonard and James Harden. Harden, 4 of 10 from 3. Leonard, 3 of 4 from 3. Um, Harden with 8 assists. Leonard with 6 boards, 6 assists in the game, both of them with a block each as well. They got 14 points from Mason Plumley starting at center, finally returned uh, and getting bigger minutes. I like to see that for Plumley, uh, who also had 5 rebounds in the game and 3 blocks. 
uh, impressive defensive numbers for Plumlee. And then they got 11 points off the bench from Russell Westbrook, who also had four assists and a steal. Um, they're impressive. And again, a, a huge win against the Thunder team that now has lost a couple in recent weeks. And they are going into a, a little bit of a tougher schedule. They'll play the Jazz next. Uh, and then following that game, that game, they will be playing, uh, I want to say the Timberwolves maybe. Um, they're playing, you know, some some tougher teams. And I'll see if I can pull up an exact schedule f- for you here. I should have maybe made a better note of that. But uh, yeah, the Jazz and then the Timberwolves on Saturday, they're playing in uh, Minnesota. So that is going to be a tough game for them. Following that, they have, you know, Trailblazers and Spurs, which you would think are better opportunities for, uh, you know, building some wins back up. But um, wavering a bit right after he had made a huge surge to jump into the top, uh, you know, three or four in the league. Uh, but credit to the Clippers for a huge win in this game. And again, those are the six games this time around that we wanted to focus on a little bit more in depth. As far as the remaining games on Monday, the Sixers also played and they won at home against the Houston Rockets. That was Joel Embiid's real return from uh, the you know recent injuries and, and, and knee inflammation. Embiid also had 41 points and 10 rebounds in that game. That was when he had tied Kareem for the longest uh, non-Wilt Chamberlain streak of uh, 30.10 rebound games. Um, just great numbers for him in that one. The... Uh, Orlando Magic won in New York against the Knicks, 98 to 94. Again, low scoring, uh, kind of a, a tougher game in that one. Uh, but credit to Paolo Bancaro, 20 points, kind of leading the charge for the Magic again. The Atlanta Hawks won at home against the San Antonio Spurs, 109 to 99. Uh, a lot of stats, stats to note for that one. Firstly, for the Spurs, Victor Wembanyama joined Shaq uh, and Anthony Davis as the only players with multiple. 25.10 rebound and five block games at age 20 or younger. Uh, AD did that three times and Shaq did that eight times. So another great uh, kind of record type category for Webman now to put his name in. Meanwhile, Trey Young with 36 points and 13 assists in the game. He became the youngest fast, uh, the, the fastest player rather in terms of games played to 10,000 points three and a half thousand assists and a thousand threes. And again, some of these stats get thrown around and it's oh youngest to do this and it's a narrow margin. And um, it, sometimes it feels almost like cherry picking, even though there are still impressive stats, but this was worth noting because of the margin of this um, fastest with 390 games played. The second fastest was Steph Curry. He did it in 513 games played. So Trey Young has been very impressive since he got into the league um, doesn't get credited as much because the Hawks haven't been winning very much outside of a, uh, a 2021 playoff run, but he's been great. And, uh, you know, the Hawks still have an opportunity to build with one of the better players in the NBA in Trey young, but they, they get to win against San Antonio in that one. Then the Memphis Grizzlies won at home against the golden state warriors, 116 to 107. Career nights for uh, Vince Williams Jr., who had 24 points and seven rebounds, as well as Gigi Jackson, the rookie, 23 points on five three-pointers made. Uh, Gigi was the second youngest in NBA history with back-to-back 20-point games. The youngest was LeBron James. Now, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And uh, he hasn't had a ton of opportunity in a, uh, you know, a team that has Jaron Jackson Jr. and 
despite some front court uh, injuries, they still have a lot of front court guys ahead of him, but maybe he can earn some opportunity now that the, the season is a little more kind of up for grabs for Grizzlies players, him and, and Williams and some of the younger guys can have opportunities to prove themselves and, and get more playing time. Um, but credit to him in that one, being able to overcome the Warriors uh, and their return, you know, Draymond's return to action in that game. So big win for the Grizzlies. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers won at home against the Chicago Bulls, 109 to 91. Donovan Mitchell with 34 points in that game. The uh, Boston Celtics won in Toronto against the Raptors, 105 to 96. Uh, and that is a season sweep of Toronto. The Celtics go undefeated against the Raptors in the season. Uh, then the Utah Jazz won at home against the Indiana Pacers, 132 to 105. Larry Markin with 32 points in that game. Uh, they continue their ascent they're now two games above 500 and then finally the los angeles lakers won at home against the oklahoma city thunder 112 to 105 anthony davis with a 27.15 rebound game and the lakers snapped the four game win streak of the thunder in that one and avoided a three game losing streak of their own so those are the remaining games we didn't have a chance to go more in depth on finally let's do our key news before we move on to the next big item uh, and we'll kind of dance around the big item first uh, with a couple of other transactions. Firstly, the Cleveland Cavaliers have signed forward Pete Nance to a 10-day contract. And then the Memphis Grizzlies have signed guard Scotty Pippen Jr. to a two-way contract. So Pippen gets another opportunity uh, with the team. Uh, back to the Cavaliers, guard Darius Garland has returned to on-court activities. His return date is yet to be announced, but that's very encouraging uh, original timeline was about six weeks he would miss. I think it's been three or four weeks since that injury. Uh, so hopefully he's able to get on the floor in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Sacramento Kings head coach Mike Brown has been fined $50,000 for both aggressively pursuing an official during live play and then also publicly criticizing the officiating. That, of course, was we mentioned that during that uh, game in Milwaukee against the Bucks that they lost in overtime to a Lillard game winner. Um, there was a particular call. Uh, not given on a De'Aaron Fox shot attempt. He thought there was a foul there. And aggressive is right. He went right after the officials on that, was ejected very quickly. And then after the game, had the, the laptop and was showing the game footage to the uh, the reporting team there. Um, yeah, I mean, a fine makes a lot of sense. But it, it, you got to sympathize if he feels that he's not getting the right calls um, with that you know type of he's got to try and uh, – He's passionate about it. You know, you can't blame the passion, I suppose. Uh, Denver Nuggets, this is an interesting note to tack on to that game we talked about uh, last night in Philadelphia against the 76ers. Before that game, uh, the Nuggets were stuck on a plane uh, for more than eight hours in Denver due to frozen engines ahead of ma the matchup in Philadelphia. Um, and, of course, that's you know par for the course with a lot of places in the U.S. There's a lot of uh, freezing, frigid temperatures much as the same here in Utah, we've you know been uh, very cold and a lot of snow, a lot of ice, uh, so it makes a lot of sense. But eight hours stuck on a plane is a lot of time, um, so maybe a factor, um, but still credit to Philadelphia, I guess, for the win. But just tough for for Denver to have to be stuck that long. Uh, and then finally, for the Clippers, we mentioned this before, but it's now official. The Clippers are the official hosts for the NBA All Star Weekend in 2026 in the uh, at that point, will be fully constructed the Intuit Dome uh, that is slated for uh, opening later this year, I believe. Um, and that timeline has been, you know, I kind of lost track of that timeline. And suddenly this arena is almost here. Uh, this 
and the Clippers and Lakers will no longer be in the same arena. And that was only true uh, in the last, you know, 24-ish years. I want to say it was when the Staples Center was built that the Clippers joined in because before that they played at, uh, you know, the Memorial Arena and uh, Anaheim Arena at various points. And so um, more often the Clippers were separate from the Lakers in terms of arenas. And so that'll be the case uh, in uh, the next year or two as well. So um, that's it for our News items outside of the big one, but we're going to go ahead and jump into that and what we'll talk about for most of the rest of the show. Um, and it, we're going to start in chronological order of roster moves made because the trades make more sense this way. Um, I got confused looking at it because um, the Pacers who were involved made a post about a different transaction than the main one that people are talking about. But then thankfully there was someone on Twitter who was able to uh, outline it a little bit more clearly. And I th- believe this is what is the full case of what happened. So we start with Indiana waving forward James Johnson, uh, who had recently been signed back onto the roster. Um, but they did that uh, in re- preparation for this trade that was made, a smaller trade. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans sending guard Kira Lewis Jr. and a second round pick, a 2024 second round pick, to the Pacers in exchange for cash considerations. So it was a move that the Pelicans wanted to make. They wanted to get Lewis Lewis's contract off of their books, um, uh, and they throw in a pick to incentivize it. So he goes to Indiana. Uh, the Pacers, again, basically trade cash in that move. So the Pacers have traded James Johnson for Kier Lewis, in a sense. Johnson's a free agent now. And then with that in mind, they were able to create Uh, or actually make the bigger trade. And this is the one that people are talking about, of course. Toronto sends forward Pascal Siakam, a former All-Star and a member of that 2019 championship team, one of the the star players of that team. Toronto sends Pascal Siakam to Indiana. The Pacers get Siakam. In exchange, the Pacers send uh, guard forward Bruce Brown, guard Kira Lewis Jr., forward Jordan Nuara, and three first-round picks two of those in 2024, one of them Indiana's own, and another is going to be the worst of either the Clippers, the Jazz, the Rockets, or the Thunder, the worst of those four teams' first-round picks in 2024. The other is Indiana's own, and then finally a 2026 first-round pick, also Indiana's own, to the Toronto Raptors. So that closes out the whole trade saga. Basically, New Orleans clears out Kira Lewis's contract, and they give up a pick to do so. Um, Indiana waves James Johnson and then via the other trade is able to also send out Bruce Brown, Jordan Nuora, uh, to bring in Pascal Siakam. And they also send off some big, bigger draft capital, the Raptors giving up their star forward. They get a, a versatile guy in Bruce Brown, a recent champion. They get Jordan Nuora, who's a you know 11th, 12th man type player. They get Kira Lewis, a younger guard who's intriguing from the Pelicans, and then they get a bunch of draft picks. Um, so in all, that's the move that was made. And with that, we're actually going to jump into the segment that will replace um, our you know either 20 guesses or Justin Showdown. We're going to just focus on this Pascal Siakam trade because it's interesting in a lot of uh, aspects. And we'll start with we'll start with the team least impacted, the Pelicans, um, and giving up on Kira Lewis. I mean, he's he hasn't felt like a great fit for the lineup in terms of finding playing time, regardless of, regardless of his playing ability. We know that they start CJ McCollum now as a combo guard 
point guard type player. They have Jose Alvarado off the bench. They had drafted Dyson Daniels. Um, they have Jordan Hawkins as a shooting guard. So Lewis really wasn't getting much of an opportunity, and he was a later draft pick to begin with. So uh, he, they they unload the deal, I guess, which gives them a little bit more flexibility in their uh, in their money. And Toronto then picks up a player who, as as they are a young team that's losing much more than they're winning, they have an opportunity to evaluate him a little bit more. You know, give him playing time in certain games and see how he responds, what he, you know, is best at. So uh, it seems to make sense in both aspects. Uh, the Raptors really didn't have to give up anything extra compared to what they already were doing in the uh, the Indiana type deal. And they just get this extra player to be brought in and, and see how he how he fares. So it makes sense kind of on both angles. Let's then talk about the Raptors who are losing the key player because I think it makes sense there too. And, um, you know, the, the Raptors still have, um, promising players, but now that, that timeline has gotten, you know, much more in sync, younger players, generally speaking, of course, Scotty Barnes is now the focus. Siakam of course was their best player, but Barnes was the youngest, highest potential on the roster. Now Scotty Barnes is the piece that the Raptors are building around full stop. And it makes sense with what their coach had said and kind of what the franchise philosophy is about Scotty Barnes being that player. They foresee being a, an all NBA type player. Of course, uh, head coach uh, Darko says that he'll be the face of the league. Uh, we'll have to see if that becomes the case, but certainly will be a dynamic two way player. And he has a lot of potential and they have a lot of interesting pieces around him. They've brought in RJ Barrett, of course, who now has an opportunity to be a leading uh, score much more prominently than he was in New York with Brunson and Randall uh, powering the offense. They have a guard like Emmanuel Quickly who will get more of an opportunity to maybe be the starting point guard for the Raptors. Bruce Brown is a piece that could maybe be shipped off uh, for, for draft-type assets if a contending team wants to bring him in for their bench later on. That feels like that makes the most sense for Toronto. Um, and then you have you know Grady Dick, Kira Lewis, um, that are very young players that can get more opportunities here. Christian Coloco. Um, so the Raptors are just going to look to develop younger guys full stop. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, it took a couple of years, a few years to fully dismantle the championship core, but sometimes you have to make that move gradually so that the fans are a little bit easier to accept it, but it will make more sense for the long-term future of the team. I think to give these younger guys a chance to, to grow. And then you have veteran players who can bring in more draft assets and you can start to build that way. So I think it makes a lot of sense for Toronto. And then finally for the Pacers, they're the big ones. They're bringing in Siakam. Let me give you this potential lineup. Tyrese Halliburton, uh, either Benedict Matherin or Buddy Heald. Um, and then you have, you know, Neesmith or Walker or one of either Matherin or Heald starting at that other spot. That's the question is the two, three spot, the consistent starting roles for those spots. But then outside of that Siakam, along with miles Turner, it's a touch more old school, but both Siakam and Turner can still shoot the three ball. Um, and with the pace they play, I think Siakam can fit well there. Hal Burton pick and roll with Siakam seems very exciting. And then their bench gets helped out because Obi Toppin is now a consistent bench uh, presence. And he's been an overachiever in small moments as a starter. So I think that's a nice move. Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson backing up Turner. 
You have Jarris Walker now off the bench with Andrew Nemhar and TJ McConnell. Um, they have a couple open roster spots now that they can fill out with some some free agents. Likely they bring James Johnson back as that move is only made to free up roster space. Um, but they'd have one more spot to bring in, you know, a veteran if they want to. But um, with this move, I think they have a good opportunity to to get even better. You know, they're adding an all-star along with their their newest all-star, Halliburton. So they have multiple all-stars. They've got three-point shooting in good amount. You know, Halliburton, of course, especially. But Siakam can shoot it now. Turner can hit an open three. And then Heald and Matherin, you know, that's their big thing is shooting and scoring. Um so they they are going to keep up their high offensive identity with the Siakam move. Um, he's not going to be as high flying as Obi Toppin, but he'll still be you know, more productive. He'll be a great rebounder. He has defensive versatility, so I think that helps with this roster. Siakam and Turner being more defensively capable inside, um, and then you have Halliburton being able to maybe get some steals on the outside. You know, McConnell is a pest uh, on the defensive side of things. Uh, Neesmith uh, as a backup wing can keep your identity that way. And so I really like this move pretty much on all, all, all sides. It seems like it makes a lot of sense for all the parties involved uh, for the Pelicans. They can clear up um, it, the backup rotation and, and you know, make sure that their guards are content. They know their roles. Dyson Daniels is a little more clear as a backup uh, guard along with Jose Alvarado. Um, the Raptors make sure that they're focused on, the young players, the talent and the future developing that. And then the Pacers are making a, a stronger move towards playoff contention. They are saying definitively, we want to be in the playoffs. We think we can be there and we want to be a better team in the East. They're currently six in the East. I think it's a great move on all sides. That's my thoughts on the trade. And that's actually going to take me to our weekly prediction. And I'm going to focus on this trade with this latest weekly prediction. We play predictions. And here it is. This is directly related to the Pascal Siakam trade. I've already talked about the trade in detail. Again, Pacers are sixth in the East. With this move, well, actually first, fifth in the East is the Miami Heat. Fourth in the East is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then your top three, Celtics, Bucks, Sixers. Um, with inconsistency of the Heat, for much of the season and with the Cavaliers injury issues, of course, the Pacers have some of their own with Halliburton out at the moment, but I think there's a good chance this could happen. My prediction is with Pascal Siakam, the Indiana Pacers will finish the season as a top four seed in the East. They're not too far off right now. Um, they're only a game and a half behind Cleveland. Who's in the four spot. And with Siakam and once Halliburton returns, I think that's going to be a potent combination when you have a competitive Indiana team, they've got a great, excuse me, home court atmosphere as well that will elevate their play just slightly uh, on top of what they're already doing. We know that Rick Carlisle is an experienced head coach, a former champion. I like that mix and that makeup of a Pacers team, and I think that that's a good chance that they could make that move and finish very hot in the Eastern Conference. So that is my weekly prediction, and that is how I'll wrap up our talk on the trade. I'm excited to see in the coming days how these players play in their first action with their new teams. And that's most of what we have for you today on our podcast. We'll go and wrap things up with our This Day in History fact for you. Uh, we're going back to 1961. Uh, and January 17th of 1961, the Cincinnati Royals... 22-year-old rookie sensation Oscar Robertson 
became the youngest player to receive All-Star MVP honors. Robertson scored 23 points and handed out 14 assists in 153-131 to victory for the West at Syracuse. So, one of the great players of all time. And how incredible he was so young. Um, Of course, it was the 60s, so there was much more of an opportunity for that to happen. But just got to note that the Big O, one of the greats, and that's really the most I can say about that. Um, but with that, I think we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Thank you all again for listening. Of course, we're on all sorts of uh, podcast streaming platforms now. So wherever you're tuning in, we really appreciate your support. And of course, if you want to support us further, you can check out our social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Um, we're on there. We have link trees on those that will take you to all sorts of other links. We have a, a page now, a web page um, that is really, really basic. It just gives you a bio about the the podcast. It'll give you a, you know, a link to actually listen to the latest episode and it'll give you some information about our socials and how to contact us. So it's pretty straightforward, but um, you know, any way you want to appreciate uh, anyone, you, any way you want to support us, we would appreciate it. And maybe any way you want to appreciate us, we would support that too. Either one of those I'm, I'm sure works, but that's it for us. Thank you again for listening on Friday. We'll be back with our normal Friday episode, which means our, five on five drill and six men for Wednesday and Thursday, the latest news. We'll also do our latest franchise focus. Uh, That time we'll talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. So that should be very intriguing uh, with the current team and how that the season has played out. We'll talk about fantasy basketball. We'll check in on our predictions, which we haven't done for a little while. And then we'll forecast the upcoming games of the weekend. So it should be a great Friday episode to wrap up the week. Um, And again, thank you all for listening and we'll be back with you on Friday.